Welcome to another episode of Take It Off. You are tuning into the most stylish podcast on planet Earth. I missed you last week. I was very, very sick. Quick recap. Went to go see the Barbie movie. If you didn't tune into my last episode, I talk about different conspiracy theories surrounding the movie. It's a wild ride. Go check it out. The movie itself, 10 out of 10, makes you cry, makes you laugh. I dressed up in pink with all of my girlfriends to go see it in different Barbie themes. It's a little cliche, but I think it's Instagram appropriate. NT who? Moving on, moving on, moving on. The passport princess prevails. Give me another stamp because we have another guest today. She's not really calling from Ethiopia, but she is Ethiopian. So, and she's the first Ethiopian guest that we've had on the show. So, give me a stamp. We've had someone call from Nigeria. We've had someone call from Amsterdam. We've had someone call from Australia. We've had someone call from China. I want a stamp from having this lady call from New York City. We talk about our upbringing. We talk about, in this episode, being an entrepreneur, how difficult it is. She runs, she's a fashion designer for petite women who are 5'4 and below. And I feel like when we talk about inclusivity, we definitely touch on weight. We definitely touch on race. We definitely touch on disabilities. We don't really touch too much on height. And so I'm excited for this show and I'm excited for you to listen to it. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, Darji. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here. Now, you were officially the first Habesha fashion designer I've had on the show. How do you deal with that one auntie who wants a discount? What do you tell her? It's funny. Um, first, that's exciting. Uh, happy to be the first on here. So far, I haven't had um, anyone make that request, really. And um, it's funny because the reason I started Tigas Petites is because I couldn't find any clothes uh, because I'm petite. And that actually just means that you're under 5'4". Five, 5'4 four. Five, four and under. Um, sizing could actually range from double zero all the way to plus size. And um, my family has been incredibly supportive. We are a family of petite people. Mm. Um, and thus far, um, I've had a few folks actually buy things, um, but nothing. I know it sounds bizarre, but uh, nothing like that quite yet. That's oh, well, yeah, quite yet. But that's good yeah. that you have a supportive family because anytime I get a lot of entrepreneurs on the show and we always talk about how do you deal with that one friend who wants a discount or the one auntie who wants a discount. So if you haven't had it, then you just have a really supportive family. I'm, I love that for you. Yeah, fingers when, crossed. Let's see what happens after they hear this. But okay. no, I, it'll be good. You know, that's fine. <laughs> when you first told your parents okay, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to stick to. What was their kind of natural reaction? It's funny because I've always wanted to be a fashion designer. It might have been my very first thing that I wanted to be when I grew up, one of the first things. And uh, so that was around 10 or 11. And um, my parents were a mix of support supportive and also you know it's great you can do that as a hobby yeah but also have you kind of knew I was going to say this right no um, I mean I think have... <laughs> listen African parents you have to have thick skin okay just yeah, putting it out yeah, there absolutely um and then they said uh but you have to have something you're also um 
you have to have a serious like central job that you want to do a main job and honestly that actually is what ended up happening so i um i did have an option of just going to a fashion focused undergrad um or biz- business and fashion as like a periphery kind of focus and um i i chose the latter mm-hmm. um and both because of let's say extra encouragement from my parents um and um i also thought it certainly would not hurt to have the business background w- whether i worked in fashion or anything else so i did that at nyu and after i actually went to parsons for fashion design and i worked in the accessory space for a bit um and then and then i did my marketing in a different area in global policy and i ended up you know a lot of things happened throughout it, this it, time i was gonna, i was going to say it sounds like you have a lot of degrees i do yeah <laughs> one it's because of interest and the other thing is because i had you know i wanted to do fashion i also i for a time i wanted to move back home uh home being ethiopia and that didn't work out so um after my masters i moved back to the states and i went into marketing which was what my undergrad in and i actually got out of fashion and and i'll tell you why in a bit for a long time and it's only last year when i launched this business that i got back into fashion and and one of the reasons i got out is because i did my master's thesis on labor abuse in the global fashion industry and it was really really uh disheartening mm. and i felt so um i felt not only powerless but also part of the problem it's really um sad to say but a lot of the things that we wear that we have in our households at some point would have touched um you know let's indentured ser- ser- servant hands or actually slave hands quite frankly um that indentured servitude is just a nicer way of saying slavery it that is. still persists <laughs> today yeah so that um that that was overwhelming so i kind of um just left there were other like life circumstances that that kind of um made me deviate from the path but ultimately all of that um wasn't a bad thing because i they spent 10 years um becoming a marketing executive and that's never a bad thing wh- whatever business you go into um so yeah that's that's been my journey in the last few years so many different trials and tribulations yeah. you did marketing for 10 years and then were you doing this on the side and then you decided okay I want to do this full time or did you kind of quit your job cold turkey and was like I'm just going to focus on this so I ha- I still haven't done that so this is um this is my baby to his petites very much in its infancy and you know an infant needs a lot of uh food and you- it has a lot of expenses so it's very much like a baby So I do still have my full-time job actually and um I spend the majority of the time outside of that uh focusing on Tigus Petites and I have started small no pun intended it's a petite line <laughs> um but <laughs> but I um the intention is to see how big this grows and then one day do it full-time You and me both honey I have a full-time job yeah. outside of this I run the website yeah. for the city and oh. when yeah when i told so when i was telling my african parents you know <laughs> i i want to quit that i just want to do radio and they were like are you sure 
like but in the nicest <laughs> way possible nice. yeah yeah no to them it was very very nice but i was like okay i'll just do it on the side until i can get certain amount then i'm done then i'm completely out of it but i think it's smart to do it that way i've met people who did it the other way too who just made it their sole focus i don't right. know how they survived god bless them but i'm rooting right. for them it's i mean it's tough to like make that big step were you surprised when you first announced this by any supporter? Like someone came up to you and was like, oh, I bought your dress or XYZ. What was the most surprising customer? It's the most surprising actually is just anybody I meet. If I tell them that I'm doing this or I've gone into business, for the most part, everybody's super excited. It's been such a um, encouraging journey. It's been really hard. It's actually the hardest thing I've ever done. Because it took me four years to even get to this point. Four and years? It's really amazing. Four years, yeah. Of uh, research and development, prototype development, or it's called samples in the fashion industry. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually spent about a year developing the first round of samples. And then I threw everything away and started from scratch because I wasn't happy with what um, came out of it. And actually, if I can go off on that tangent for a bit, <laughs> I went into this because I couldn't find clothes to wear. And the breaking point came when I found myself um, in a department store. I found a maxi dress that I really liked and I wondered how it fit me. And I looked up and I was in the children's section. I still bought the dress, but Aww. it wasn't a good feeling. You know, it was pretty demoralizing. And so I thought, well, this dress will be fine just for casual wear, but for work, this is not how I want to show up. Um, so I looked around to see what options were there. Many brands that do petites have a very, um, I always joke, that, you know, most brands have a very petite, petite section and it's mm. mostly an afterthought. So even if they have it in stores, it's tucked away somewhere in the back um, or they don't have it in stores and they'll say, oh, go check it out online. And generally speaking, what they do is make standard size clothing and just chop it off at the bottom um, or just shrink it. And neither is uh, what you really want because p petite bodies have different proportions to non-petite bodies. And you know you want the seam lines to fall in the right place. So uh, based on that, I went and, and I said, well, there's I can do something about this. So I started developing three styles of dresses and um, Working with some fashion insiders, which I, you know, elected to work with just because I hadn't been in the industry a long time and I needed that guidance. Uh, some of the best practices are you're meant to use a fit model. That's not you. It should be somebody else. So you can have that outside view when you are developing these dresses. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, sometimes when you try on a dress in the mirror and it looks just fine but then you see a picture of yourself in it and you say wait that's not what I thought it looked like so mm. it's kind of like that so it's always good to have that like outside perspective so I did that um had a hard time finding there aren't many petite fit models uh but I also wanted one that had a hip to waist ratio that was a little bit larger than the average standard size and uh, I found one person she was wonderful to work with but ultimately, after developing the dresses on her, I tried them on at the very end. And I had the same feeling that I have when I'm trying on dresses, 
you know, from any any of the large brands that exist, which is it didn't fit and I didn't feel good in it. So that brought me to tears because I said, well, this is my dress and this has my name on it and it doesn't even fit me. So that's I haven't really done my job because I started this to accommodate not only petite women, but petite women with curves. So and oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say, so are you do you call yourself the designer, CEO, owner? What are your preferred not pronouns? But what are your what is your preferred (laughs) title? title i go for founder and designer uh rather founder and ceo okay uh but also depending on the context i say fashion designer as well because i am also the designer okay so when you were designing all of these clothes and you reached out to outsiders it took you four years with their input do you look back and do you say i wish i just started it without their input or do you feel like you went the right way I think I went the right way because ultimately um, the connections I was able to tap into uh, going with insiders was really helpful. And that's one of the reasons I did it, because I could just Google, you know, a factory or a pattern maker Mm. and find someone. But I part of, again, the reason I, I went for those connections is because you have that trusted network where I could tap into their trusted network. That's exactly what I got. So I got the fabric vendors, I got the um, pattern makers and factories that were really good and aligned with what I was looking for. And the experience for the most part was very positive. There, there are just times, even when you, for other purposes, hire a consultant or an expert, there are times where you know your gut is telling you something and you listen to your gut instead of the, the input. But for the most part, Obviously, you've hired these people so that they could share share their expertise with you. So it's really a balance. My thing is don't always, um, you know, blindly follow best practices. And actually, the whole reason I was developing the line was because the best practices that existed did not accommodate what I was looking for and what many petite w- women were looking for. And you talk a lot about petite women being five, four and under. What is that number? Where does it come from? Why not like 5'3", 5'1", 5'2"? Right. Well, that also, you know, that's um, also open to interpretation. But officially, it comes from the fashion industry. So the fashion industry has said 5'4 and under is considered petite. And get this, uh, about 50% of American women are petite at 5'4 and under. 50? 50 percent yeah no way yeah yeah yeah. that's a it's a stat that uh i got from fit fashion institute no 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 i believe you but i said yeah it's hard to i know it's hard to believe but it's i i mean it's something that i had to just reference a bunch of times to make sure it's true and it's i mean every city that i've been in the u.s i do see a lot of women who are five four and under when i started paying attention so it's not that um that it, it eventually became not hard to believe. But obviously, the reason that most brands make start from standard sizing is it's uh, easier to serve more people by starting longer and then having, you know, the petite people cut it shorter and versus, you know, the other way around. Yeah. And it's also way more profitable to them. I mean, yeah. your brand, you could also I could see you tapping into the men's market with this. I mean, my friends always tease me mm-hmm. because I always talk about how I don't date men taller than me. <laughs> so I'm I am such a supporter of short kings. Would you uh-huh. ever make like 
male clothing. I mean, well, I guess then you'd have to change the name to like Pedro's, Tedros Petite, but yeah. which, <laughs> but I feel like that would be such an insane market for this too. Yeah, I have gotten um, people asking me, so that's definitely something I will consider for the future. But I have had a few men um, ask me about it, and they have said, "But you'd have to change the name, um, not the tigus part, but the petites part." Obviously, that, yeah, I don't think men would really respond well to that. <laughs> so it'd have to be a different, um, probably under a different brand name. But absolutely, and you know, the line right now, the capsule collection uh, that I have is inspired by men's clothing. So it's in inspired by men's suiting. And um, it came from, again, how do I and other petite women want to show up in the corporate space, in the boardroom? And I looked for symbols of power in this space. And it's, again, high-end men's clothing. So and I and I lived um, around Wall Street for a while when I, in New York City. And um, the options that existed again were basically female versions of men's suits, which were very boxy and uncomfortable. So I just took the fabrication and adapted it to a petite feminine body so that you could feel powerful, but still feel feminine and feel like the clothes that you're wearing are actually, you know, fitting. And you have a few different colors on your store and a few different names. Who are Aiden, Sarah and Jean? Are those? Oh, I'm and so happy you asked me that. So Aiden is uh, my le my late sister. So I had a sister when I was little, and she passed around um, when I was seven. She 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 was a year younger than me. She was oh, six. My condolences. So, yeah, thank you. I named that after her. Uh, Sarah was just. I wish I could say I had inspiration, but it was just a simple name that I just pulled out of the air. <laughs> and then Jean is actually um, an adaption of my mom's name. My mom's name is Gennett. Mm. And, I th and I thought about actually naming the dress that, but I thought, you know, Tigist, Gennett, it's too many kind of like difficult things for people to pronounce that are not familiar with these names. Did I say Janet? Janet? Yeah, yeah Janet or <laughs> like, Jeanette was, yeah. was an option. I'm telling you, I had conversation with my mom. <laughs> but also that's too long. I needed something um, four or five words long and so I, I showed my mom and I said look mom this was uh, this is this is inspired by your name I just dropped the T and she said that's not that's not me she's like you have to try again <laughs> I'm not Jean <laughs> I told so you you need not, thick skin yeah she's not impressed so no I mean she's, she's impressed right the whole thing but she was impressed by that uh, tribute so I'm gonna have to try again um, yeah I'm gonna have to go for the full-on Jen Jeanette or Janet <laughs> next time. And the colors you picked right now, they're black, navy, and gray. Yeah. And were those for specific reasons also? Or you thought that they just kind of looked beautiful on the silhouette? Yeah, so both. Uh, but the reason is um, th this is meant to be a staple in each woman's closet. So something that you can wear over and over again, kind of like... Um, you know, I've heard a lot in the fashion industry how um, people are going from trends to uniforms. Mm. So instead of always following trends, um, people have their own particular way of dressing. And um, alongside with that, some people who care about uh, investing in slow fashion pieces will invest in higher value pieces 
and just have those things be their uniform. So it's sustainable, it gives you a signature look, and then it's also enduring. You can own those clothes for a while. So I wanted to um, tap into that. And that's one of the reasons I chose these um, kind of mm, safe colors or colors that can go with a lot of things. And they're also, uh, the fabrication is again, the same fabrication that's used for men's suits. So these are the mm. colors that I see a lot in men's suiting. So um, that's also the reason. And then lastly, the initial goal of this was to have it as a workwear line. But as I saw, I, I saw that I could also adapt it to non-work, to dinner, to lunch, etc. But it's certainly something that serves you well in a professional environment. And it's definitely something, like you said, you're going to keep it in your closet for a long time. It's a timeless piece. Also, mm -hmm. it's it's some of these prices are like three to four hundred dollars. So you are keeping this for a long time, honey. Yes. You're not going to yeah. get rid of this when you were yeah. coming up with this. But this is for a specific market. You cater to the luxury consumer. When yeah. you were deciding that, how did you kind of navigate? OK, I want to be luxury. I want to be ready to wear. I want to be mainstream. What made you decide which avenue to go towards? Yeah, so a lot of thought process went into that. Um, certainly when I was starting to work on this and again, I was looking, I was doing a lot of research and also had a lot of input from, um, again, people in the industry and even outside of the industry. And a lot of their recommendation was to produce it abroad to um, have more favorable costs. Mm. And... I decided to produce in New York City, actually, in the garment district, which is the second most expensive place to produce next to Italy. And um, and then I also wanted to use um, high-end fabric. So a lot of the fabric that's used in men's suiting is wool. And I started with that, uh, but then I realized I had to go to wool blends because wool blends are a little bit more flexible and adapt to the feminine body, to the female body better. Mm. Either way, though, yeah, those fabrics were from Italy. Uh, my core, my black and blue are from Italy, and then my gray is from Japan. Actually, that quality is it is not made anymore, so the, those pieces are pretty rare. And um, and then I produced it in New York, so the costs are pretty high. And actually, my price point started uh, higher than what it is now, and that would have been the more appropriate price point for, again, fabrics that are coming from these uh, very high-value countries and also is being produced in New York. But I intentionally lowered the price to around the 400 range to make it accessible. Because I know even um, though this is a high-end market and certainly the women that I cater to would be able to afford it, since I'm not yet established on the scene, it's kind of hard to gain that trust and say, really, this is worth what you're paying for. Uh, so I thought, bring it, even though these these uh, ingredients that have gone into the dresses uh, do warrant a much bigger price tag, I brought it down to make it accessible. And part of this whole thing is um, lack of accessibility, right? Petite women don't have access to the kind of clothes that make them feel powerful. So um, I did, I do um, small quality, uh, small quantity runs. And um, I just control costs in that way. And then the biggest thing, as I said, one of the reasons I left the fashion industry initially was being demoralized by the um, unfair labels, labor standards that I would hear about. 
So it was really important to me that I had the production facility close by where I can just go and visit randomly, visit uh, you know as many times as I please. And the factory there I found is uh, pretty phenomenal. Everybody's treated fairly, and they're actually a part of uh, CFMA, Council for Fashion Designers of America. So they're definitely um, in line with the labor standards that I um, I support and, and that organization supports. So uh, like I said, it was really complicated and a lot went into it. Um, so with those elements put together, ultimately, I decided uh, I'm, again, going after professional women who are, you know, at, at the either mid part of their career or a little bit more um, advanced and um, managerial. Mm. And I feel like this, what I have, the value that I'm offering for this price point is something that's definitely going to move the needle. Because you're, you're catering to a specific woman. It's, yeah. yeah, this isn't necessarily, you know, every single person, but so it makes a lot of sense to do what you're doing and how you're doing it. Do you, I know you said you want to stay away from trends, but as you get more into this down the line, how are you going to decide, okay, this dress is enough. We need to like move on to something new. We need to shelf this or put it on clearance or whatever. Cause that's the only thing that's so difficult with timeless pieces is like you you can sell them forever, but then eventually you, you're going to want to tap into like the next thing. Right. Absolutely. I mean, again, this is a starting point. And I think what I will do is just let the market decide. Mm. Um, as long as these dresses are selling, as long as people are responding well to these, I'll continue to have them. And when I see the interest wavering or, you know, I don't see the same level of excitement that I saw before, I'll certainly pivot. I mean, and that's what it, you know, it means to be an entrepreneur or anybody in business you kind of have to balance, again, your inner compass with uh, what the environment is actually telling you. And while you're new in the scene, you also are going to be getting more recognition soon, more highlights soon. Do you think that you would ever do any collaborations? Yeah, I think I'm open to that. If it makes sense, absolutely. If it's something, again, that's aligned with... um, serving the market that I'm serving. Absolutely. Like you said earlier, this is a very niche market that I'm after. And that's something I've been pretty intentional about. So I've decided I'd rather have a smaller group of raving fans, people that I've really made happy, uh, than kind of go after the mass approach. So whenever I come across people who kind of have a similar vision or are going after the same thing, absolutely that's something I'd be open to. And lastly, before I get you out of here, (laughs) where can the listener follow you? How can they purchase your art, your garments? How can they support you? X, Y, Z? Yes. So the best place to find the garments, uh, the dresses is on tiggispetites.com. I'm also in Wolf and Badger, a flagship store that is in Soho, Manhattan. 
Uh, they're originally based in London, so they have a store in London, in LA, and, and New York. I'm on their online shop, wolfandbadger.com as well. Just look for Tigus Petites. And you can follow me on Instagram at Tigus Petites. That's awesome that you're in their store. How, yes. How did you exciting. get their attention? Did you like reach out to them directly? Did you? Yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah, there's, uh, you know, it's funny because that, that's just all it takes. You just have to knock on a thousand doors until, until one, one opens. and eventually more than one opens. Yeah, <laughs> they reached out to them. They have an application process. They work with um, independent brands. So they really liked my story. Um, the labor part, uh, you know, the clean labor aspect was something that they were pretty happy about. Um, so they work with many brands that, are doing the sustainable thing and mm. um, are also usually owned by uh, smaller organizations. And yeah, I got into their store in February of this year, their online shop, and then into their brick and mortar in May of this year. Congratulations. Thank you, I, and Argy. It's so, no, I, I follow them online. I mean, because, you know, we're in Savannah, so I can't see them in store. But no, they have yeah. a great variety of stuff. And we're doing that right now. So we're, like you said, knocking on a different, a thousand different stores. I'm organizing a fashion show in fall. And oh, cool. it's, it's, it's fun. It's cool. But it's, yeah, it's knocking on a thousand different doors. So. <laughs> A cart, and you know it's it's good. I think for um, entrepreneurs, and I feel like what you're doing is entrepreneurship as well to have a community. So know that you're not the only one out there doing that. I'm doing it, and many other entrepreneurs are doing it. So we are a community. We are a community. Tigus, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Thank you, and Darji, it was such a pleasure to be here. That's what's out. That's what's in. See you next week on next week's trend. Follow me at Take It Off Show and I'll see you next Tuesday at 5 p.m.